Welcome to Stroke FM. Welcome. I'm Tess Fitzpatrick. I'm a stroke fellow. And I'm Catherine Swicka, your local senior neurology resident suffering through senioring. <laughs> and I'm Uman Kostrovani, one of the stroke doctors, and we are at the University of Toronto Neurology. Um, and today we thought we'd talk to you about surviving your stroke rotation. Scary stuff, eh, Kath? You know, I remember day one of code stroke or covering stroke, and I was at one of the hospitals at U of T, and I was covering for the senior resident because they had a meeting or something, and I was just so staring at my pager, staring at it, waiting for it to go off. Uh, and then I go see a patient, and in the MRI, and come back. And it turns out there were two code strokes while I was MRI and oh I was God. in a dead zone. Uh, and that just kind of scared me for life. But you know what? I think uh, with some good mentors, like some of the ones sitting here today, uh, things have gotten a bit easier. And I think we've got some tips to share. That's today. pretty That's awesome. Right. I always do say just about the pager bit that, you know, God forbid, if you have a physician that, you know, you have to kind of declare inactivity <laughs> of the brain, uh, don't do like apnea tests, calorics and those types of things. Bring a pager. Because if they don't respond to the pager, then they're definitely a problem. But anyway, just kind of... We should put that into the interview process. That's right. We have been conditioned to respond to one sound and one One sound sound only. only. Yeah. So Uh, what is the sound of your pager? Because one of our fellow residents... Let's compare pager sounds, actually. Let's see. I heard someone had Hey Jude on theirs. What? Mine oh, is wow. uh, pretty standard. Yeah. Actually, I'm very proud of this, you guys. Oh, I left my pager at the hospital. Wow. See, right so now, this, is, I think this is how desperate I'm actually I am. on call right now. I think half. That's right. You are on call. I think. That, oh, my God. That's piercing. Oh. That's piercing. Let's, let's try like Gets other you sounds. Out of bed. Let's try the sounds. Like, there's other. Choose alert. Here it is. So the one I use is this one. Hang on. No. No, no, not this one. Not this one. I use this one. That one's gentle. That's like, that's hey, gentle. hey, come on. Yeah, but the one we all love. No. And, oh, my no. God. Stop. Yeah, that's that, the very worst stressful. one. So this is wow. This is if the any worst. listener has sat through this yeah. and made it through without turning us off, yeah, we probably all love the same thing. This is the yeah. Oh my goodness, that's right, that's right. They suffered through that. So let's just forget about those pages, eh? Yeah. So what? If, what if their first page? Let me just turn this thing off here. What if? Um, what if your first stroke code was a text message? Would that be better? What if? What if hospitals emojied us like code stroke happy face? <laughs> Or like half a happy face, you know, depending if it was a left-sided stroke or a right-sided face. Oh, my God. Face. Yes. I believe that the Emojicon people need to come up with emojis that represent stroke, stroke syndrome. Yeah, Why, dis- not? Dis- Why not? Discriminating. Yeah, it's not discriminating. To, yeah. Totally. Um, Wouldn't that be awesome? The intelligent <laughs> automatic assistant texts you with <laughs> ipsilateral or contralateral, like the yeah. correct weakness of the emoji. Yeah. With but, like uh, ptosis on the other eye and you're like, ah, oh, they have a dissection. Speaking of tips and about this, I really have to say one of the tips I have on day one of coming on to stroke is clarify your rights and lefts. The number of times that you get a different right or a different left from the EMS or the family, it's mm. critical because that's really going to frame what you're looking at on that CT and those heart racing moments when you're looking at it, looking for any early ischemic change. That's, I think, my first tip is really spend the time to really get the right history and the right side. I don't know how you guys feel about that, but yeah, I've been I mean, burned I, I in the past. I always check in the morning, like, yep, right, left, you know, <laughs> make sure there's no right, left confusion and yeah. stuff, and then move forward from there, and then, yeah, it does matter. Shoes, are on shoes the right foot. exactly, same color, socks, or whatever, excellent. No, it's true, it's true. Um, it is, it is an anxiety-causing uh, anxiety causing thing, the stroke mm-hmm. service, right? Because many of the stroke services in various shops 
in uh, Canada, certainly, are running multiple services at the same time. Mm -hmm. Like if you're on medicine, you just deal with your floor and you might get admissions to you during the day, but there's an admitting team. Uh, but on but on stroke, certainly at our shop, um, undisclosed location, no, within the University of Toronto, but certainly all of our shops basically have where we are taking care of uh, the, the acute code strokes, the ward, but also um, consults. Yes, yeah. it's quite busy. But for any patients listening, like we do get it done and it's, it is fine, but yeah. it's just that, you know, you could envision uh, with centers that have a lot of volume that you would actually have separate teams looking after the acute strokes versus the inpatients. And, and, and that are, may come. Yeah, and there are yeah, some there places, are. but I do have to say one of the advantages of having one team is you get a really rounded out educational experience and you get to see the the, the strokes at different points. Right. Um, I mean, but I, I will support what you said about being anxiety provoking. I feel like you have to stop, drop and roll when that pager yeah. goes off. You stop everything. And uh, yeah. yeah, I think the key, though, is exactly as you said, you want this to be an educational experience. You want to learn something. And so even when you have the craziest days and you're running, you know, to see all your inpatients and running down for a code and then you have a consult, take a moment to make sure you learn something from the, those cases because if, at the end of the day you want to at least come home and realize that uh you did more than just like run around filling out recs and and doing work that you actually took something home from that and lots of mentors tell me that stroke is where we learned our neurology like Absolutely. that's where localization comes yeah. from a stroke and so debriefing after code strokes i think that's a really really good thing to get uh, get into the habit of doing that yeah and so encourage are, your team yeah. to do that so you're saying you like you learn neurology one stroke at a time which is what yeah that's, one of my that's mentors say, just, right yeah and and the pre-brief and debrief yeah. mm -hmm. so tess being the fellow what tips do you have for us for running a good code stroke well, I think number one is uh, assigning good roles on your team, making sure that everyone knows what they're doing because the worst codes are the ones that are just chaos and everyone's kind of trampling each other in, in the recess room. I think that's the, the first thing is to establish some, some organization before you get in there and to stay calm. It's really tough, especially when you start on, your, on a stroke for the first time to be really anxious and going through the exam really fast and, and trying to do everything and shouting orders and get the libido already and this and that. And I, yes, it can be high stress, but try and take a moment and take a breath and because it actually freaks the patient out if you're talking a mile a minute and, and yeah. yelling and everything. So just be chill yourself. And uh, for those of you listening who have any sort of interest in leading your local residency program or academic center, uh, we've recently implemented some of our center stickers, just like they have for code traumas. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't know how often they're being used, but when I do see them used or like exactly how Tessa said, the roles, it really brings the experience together. Um, yeah, and we can talk about calmer. yeah in a future episode about simulation because mm -hmm. we, we're starting to do that here. And I think there's a really a, an important role for a stroke simulation and how to, how to do that. And uh, it really brings it down. Take water breaks. <laughs> Take Don't give yourself an breaks. AKI on that's call, right. that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, one of the things in residency is that it's, uh, I always joke, it's simultaneous pre and post renal failure. So you true. can't drink and you cannot go. Very I've heard true. of residents spitting their urine on oh my call. God. Like, <laughs> oh my God. What? <laughs> yeah. That resident needs more call, yes, no, more exactly. pages, more pages. Stroke FM, where you get all of the cool information about stroke for trainees across the world. You've heard of thrombolysis? We have something new for you here, anxiolysis. <laughs> what do you think about that? I like it. So it's good. Anxiolysis, it come right? In pill anxiolysis, it comes in yes. pill format about how to chill out during a code. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, chill. Obviously, we you need to be efficient and move things along. You're not kind of just dragging your feet, but 
chill out as in, you know, think clearly, take a second to to make sure everything makes sense and not just rushing through it, right? Yeah. But you still I, want to move it along. Obviously, you're not yeah. just like sitting down and uh, debating whether the toe was up going yeah. or down going, right? And I think what you're getting at is, you know, balancing debate. efficiency with meaning. <laughs> and uh, and now. I think we really have to use the tools that we have. And I think actually, Professor Vanny, since you've been around, I have totally been utilizing the technology more Mm-hmm. I, you know, I have an app now for the NIH. And even though I know the NIH off the top of my head, it just takes away one cognitive layer. Yeah, there's an app for do. that, right? Yeah, you know, there's, there's an yeah. app for it. And I strongly encourage people to use it and to do it in the same way and, and to be opportunistic with the NIH. And, and, yeah. and I think you've got to use those things. Yeah, we like apps, right? Because mm-hmm. you yeah. can calculate the NIH on there and you can email yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't have any patient information. It's just an exam. It's, it, it's, like, it's, just this, it's like what's wrong with that particular exam. And if you email it yourself, it's got a date and time. You can cut and paste it into your note. And then you don't have to ever worry or forget, like, what was the exam like? Especially if you do repeated NIHs on a complex patient that's changing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the app really helps a bit of, like, just helps with the documentation, efficiency, and timing, and uh, reduces anxiety. We, uh, we don't have any official sponsorship, but if you're on Apple, like Apple devices on iOS, the developer of one of the apps definitely is a neurologist and uh, we and, and and the price of that app is actually quite cheap so we'll put a link in the show notes yeah, for that and i've got a good one too the interface of the one that i have is a uh, really bad like this is this is the one that yeah. i use guys it's it's like really I'm looks like windows oh yeah that's a cool one yeah uh, i'm talking about neuro toolkit yeah neuro toolkit thank you yeah. and uh and it's just really quick and easy and i really recommend that people use this yeah yeah neuro toolkit is pretty fast um, the other one I think on Apple I was talking about is, is the NIH score and stroke tools, um, which is, um, as I said, the developers in neurologist it's, um, um, and, and it, and it's really good. And it's, and I think, I think it's just a dollar actually. Um, yeah. So anyway, that, that's one to use. So, so you talked about kind of role designation, like, like in our shop, we kind of know who's going to run the, the, the codes as the mm-hmm. two doctors, like early in the day. We talked about how, like, know your left and right. How to, <laughs> how to talk about, like... In real life and in the stroke yeah. setting, of course. Yeah, and sometimes, like, you know, just define, obviously, on the patient, but I guess you also mean on the imaging. And also, yeah. like, you know, again, for those of you who are non-neurology residents who may be rotating through, uh, on CT and MRI, the images are displayed as if you're looking at the person from their feet towards their head. And so left is on the uh, right side of the screen, and the right brain is on the left side of the screen. And... That does get confusing when you're looking at the patient's stroke symptoms and if they have eye deviation to the left and hemiplegia on the right and uh, then you're talking about, you know, yeah, left, right brain. So that does actually matter once in a while. And, you know, that happens to me sometimes as well. Like I'm looking for, I've looked at a particular physical sign and I'm going in the scanner, I'm trying to look for that, you know, um, abnormality. And I'm looking at the wrong side. Tom says, no, 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 I got to look at the other side. So it doesn't matter actually. Yeah, for sure. Thank goodness we're not operating on the brain. <laughs> yeah. Nobody wants a neurologist operating. No, that's right. But I do promise you, again, if there are any patients listening, that uh, neurologists really do put a lot of time and, and thought and are very thoughtful in their decisions. So Absolutely. We're, we're, I'm happy that neurologists still get the realm of stroke. That's oh, right. Absolutely. Yeah, and it's become a, like its own thing, right? It's very important. It's become, it, it's become so niche that it, stroke neurology really is its own thing now. Well, yeah, I do think sure. it's going to be its own specialty in times. Like, there's so much to know, and it is pretty separate from neurology. Oh, big um, time. I think that the treatment decisions are really getting more and more complex, especially with the windows changing. And 
uh, it's uh, for sure there's a, there's a split that's happening between, uh, well, I mean, stroke people will still be neurologists, but a split in terms of uh, yeah. call and things like that because uh, it is its own niche. Yeah. And another little uh, tip that I just remembered just as we speak, uh, last seen normal time, guys. How, what are your tips to find one of those? I recently... Um, delineated a last seen normal time on a patient that came in a phasic based on getting their phone, using their fingerprint to open it up and uh, see what oh, last wow. time they last style. used their, their text somebody because that was when they were last not wow. a phasic. Uh, yeah, I've heard they weren't in the window. Yeah. That's pretty smart, but, uh, yeah, wow. so that's I've a little bit of last seen normal. No, they weren't, oh, unfortunately. Um, at least not based on what Although I found. Although what is but the window is these really days? Cool. You yeah. know, it's yeah. changing. That's a whole different so. topic but uh yeah i've definitely heard of uh patients who um the time is determined based on something they put in the oven um x minutes ago so clearly they were coherent enough to like stir something and put it in the oven and start the timer that's um, interesting yeah, yeah. Was and, that and it wasn't window? burning yet yeah so oh, so amazing. they were in the window Thanks for the oven yeah. timer yeah so or, or they got tips. up, like brushed their teeth, did a bunch of stuff, got dressed, and then they were yeah, found exactly. down. Yeah, and that's um, the question we're always asking is that, oh, they woke up at five in the in morning to go to the bathroom, but were they normal? Mm -hmm, and, uh, mm -hmm. and, yeah. and I think that that's another high yield place, like left and right. What, what, when yeah. were they really last normal? Mm -hmm. uh, finding the right person to ask about that and to be sure. Yeah. But again, as Tess says, that may become less timing, and less relevant. Yeah, timing, yeah, not matter. With perfusion imaging, yeah. I think that's changing. Mm -hmm. but, but still, if you can confirm a last scene well that's often uh makes us more comfortable with giving it to yeah. TPA, yeah. obviously absolutely and, and what are those windows again just in the kind of standard just for our listeners just to review so tpa standard window is 4.5 4.5 and uh, evt goes all the way up to 24 but 24 for hours. posterior circulation yeah. even more that's right yeah. for posterior circulation we've definitely yeah. done evt up to five days even yeah yeah, yeah. talk but, about cowboy medicine i love yes. i love talking about uh stroke as exactly. cowboys but it's within six hours is the kind of was the original standard and now certain patients not all but some mm -hmm. um can be eligible for the extended window like six to 24 hours uh if they meet certain criteria yeah time may not matter in the future but yeah. uh as imaging gets more advanced mm -hmm. but and sometimes it's not even that. It has to do with their physiology. And we, yeah. we have another episode on that, actually. about the. So for that, more details about that, look at our, uh, listen to our Code Stroke uh, episode. But certainly, yeah, that's true. So yeah, so what else does an on-service or off-service resident, what are some other tips and tricks that'll give them some anxiolysis? One of them is to listen to this podcast. Coming to your rotation. I just got the anxiolysis. Oh my God. I love wow. It. I love 10 it. minutes later. <laughs> I know I sounded smart oh, for a little bit. I just blew my cover just now. At least I'm honest, though. That's right. Maybe it's just the coffee I'm kicking in. That's right. Uh, yeah. What else are we doing? You know, I think the reality is, and I know this is going to be another bird, uh, another um, podcast too, is about burnout. And stroke definitely is a place you've got really mm -hmm. high turnover with patients. We don't get to see the patients when they do well. As soon as they start to do well, they go to rehab and we don't get to see them again. And I think we have to remember the role that we have and um, and, and remember that we're people too. And we need that bit of validation and, and, and that push. And I think you need to... Um, like keep morale going amongst each other. Make sure to notice the things that your uh, team members do. So, no, I might be preaching to the choir, but I felt like this was a good avenue to say. No, I think that's a good point and, and something that we should keep discussing in all aspects of medicine, but in stroke, uh, we do have, uh, you know, there's good outcomes for sure, but there are some patients who don't do well and it's sad and it's, you know, you're a human, you want, you're 
compassionate as a physician and you care, but it's important um, to maintain that human aspect without letting it take over your life emotionally so that you don't go home depressed every day too when you see some sad cases. So it's important to figure out a way to um, balance those those things. And I think one of those ways is to make sure you keep people human rather than saying, oh, did you round on uh, the left, uh, left MCA, MCA in, yeah, in yeah. room two, right? right? Exactly. See, isn't it sad that we even spoke yeah. about it like that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because we, you should identify people as, you know, Miss Smith, the one with the two daughters who, who are here from Vancouver yeah. or whatever, you know, humanizing, uh, yeah. humanizing yeah. them and um, making sure you don't forget that aspect so that you still have your compassion and totally empathy agree. without going overboard and then going home crying every day, right? Yeah, and you know, in some cases, it is okay to cry. And as you yeah. said, the debriefing I think is good. And I think one of the things that we advocate for, certainly, and you know, our our team here, um, is a flat hierarchy, right? Like, medicine is sort of set up with a hierarchical structure. But I think in a team, uh, there's so many events where if people don't listen to each other, things can go wrong. There's like observer bias, or uh, like in like in resuscitation, sometimes if a person doesn't act or sees something going wrong but won't speak up, it will be actually very bad. So I think. If you have a flat hierarchy, then it makes sense to do a debrief, especially for the bad code or a Absolutely. bad situation, a bad outcome. It's totally fair to say, you know what, should we debrief about that? If you're the med student or resident or fellow or staff, it's okay to say, let's debrief. And that's an important end of day closure because sometimes, yeah, you feel defeated because sometimes you even do maximally aggressive care and the patient still does poorly yeah. and uh, it's not a nice feeling. I love that term that you said, flat hierarchy Flat i've never hierarchy. heard that before that's great um, yeah that's what we need absolutely yeah so yeah is there like like preparing before a stroke rotation is also hard people are busy they get like one weekend off before mm -hmm. a busy rotation to another busy rotation uh, we can't really i think like and that's why we think this podcast is kind of cool you can kind of listen to some stuff and learn some things before coming on to a rotation but in general um the canadian stroke guidelines are a good place to start or the american heart association stroke guidelines if you want to kind of learn about some acute management before coming on rotation, but mm -hmm. that's a small kind of piece yeah. of anxiolysis. They, they stopped printing the cards, but they can still be downloaded from uh, oh, yeah, the, the Heart cards, and Stroke. Yeah. Those oh, yeah. are great. They've got a like quick and dirty stroke syndrome on it. They've got an NIH in there. They've got your cookie thief. They've got your aphasia cards. Uh, so that that's something really quick you can go through. That's a good segue. So to come yeah. on to a stroke rotation, one of the key things you do need to know, I mean, no one's expecting you to make a TPA decision or to read like a fancy perfusion, but one of the key things to running a code and, and examining patients after codes or seeing them on the floor is to do the NIH. So what are your thoughts on the NIH and how do you, how do you anxiolize that one? There's a lot of anxiolysis that comes on uh, with NIH. And for me, I think it's to remember that it's a tool to get you started um, and that, you know, you, you recognize its limits, uh, but you should at least do it the same way every time. I don't know. I sort of, I will uh, beg to differ a little oh. bit. Um, oh, I think, uh, controversy. <laughs> controversy. All right, I, I like This it. segment I, is called <laughs> Controversy. And I know I, I see what you mean, and it is good, especially when you're starting out, to so when you're learning it, to, to go step by step and not miss everything. But in some situations, when uh, you, you want to move quickly, all you don't really need to start uh, from the beginning and start with your like LOC questions one and commands mm -hmm. one yeah, and then definitely. not get to the, you know, if someone's aphasic and hemiplegic and they have a gaze deviation, you want to add up the fact that they have a high score um, before they get to the scanner. And that's what matters more than 
necessarily say oh checking if their sensation is the same on either I, side I, I totally you know agree what I mean with you there like sometimes yeah. you can um make your exam so that it works also with the nurses like if there's a nurse on either side putting in IVs you can't wait there to check their arm strength and and just wait while they're doing that you can skip over and do language or something right so you can go out of order and you can I think modify it based on the patient in front of you especially if you only you know you're getting there they're wheeling them to CT you have like 15 seconds before the CT scanner, you don't want to hold yeah. it up. You do what's totally high, high yield. You know yeah. what I mean? But when you're starting out, I think having a systematic approach makes sense. But this is for kind of later once you get more comfortable. Yeah, we'll put a link, I think, on, on, on the NIH videos. But I'm sure that there are various sources you can find the NIH. But like what you're pointing out is that you don't need all the details. And it's kind of, it's kind of like an ECG. You can't have ST elevation lead one and lead six. It has to make sense in general. So yeah. if you see gaze deviation, hemiplegia, aphasia, you know, you probably got. MCA syndrome mm-hmm. uh, and and it has to jive with the direction of eyes and things like that but I, I also like to jump into the NIH but just very simple like you walk in are they awake attended are they you know and then you say what month is it how old are you yeah and then open and close your eyes open and close your hands that's it that starts you off there you get the mm-hmm. anxiolysis relax and then move forward with the rest of the exam. And just something out of interest from the brain I think a cognitive neurologist taught me to always ask someone uh, what month it is, and then how old you are, yeah. not the other way around, yeah, because patients the month that they're born in, yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. The month born yeah. In so just something a little yeah. funny there about yeah. how the brain works. And I, and I think if you don't get a chance to finish your first exam before the scanner, that's okay. You should try and do the whole thing in order after though, so that you have mm-hmm. a baseline um, where you're starting from, kind of before your your TPA is done or before your EBT is done. So you do want to at some point do a whole one. I just mean that when you first get there, uh, it doesn't always have to, in my opinion, be in order and every single piece. But eventually you do need it. Mm -hmm, Yeah. mm -hmm. So, and usually once you've made your treatment decision, you can take a breath and then you have a bit more time and then you can go through it. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, Speaking of breathing and taking a breath, I think for the anxiolysis component, I think uh, it's often helpful for new residents or people starting a rotation to think about the worst case scenario, scary situations that they might be faced with and then think about how they might deal with them um, before they start their rotation so that uh, I think that dampens the anxiety a bit. So thinking about really scary things in stroke and what to do, like TPA angioedema. That's like, you know, if you're on call, your staff has just left and then you get called by the nurse that there's swelling going on. I think reading ahead of time how to deal with these emergencies would be so helpful. Expand, please. Expand. <laughs> so in some patients, they can start their TPA infusion and get a um, bad reaction where they get swelling, oral lingual swelling, which can sometimes compromise their airway. It can be super scary. If I don't know if you guys have how much I've you've seen, seen it. I've never seen it, but this is terrifying. This is giving anxiety listening right? to this. Right? Yeah. And so if, if you can think about it and prepare for it, it can make you less anxious when if it does happen. But it can happen more in patients on ACE inhibitors, and it tends to be... Uh, um, on kind of the same side of the body as the stroke oh, effects, that's really right? Interesting. Oh, which wow. is yeah. yeah so if it's cool. um, if you have you know left hemiplegia, uh, it tends to be the left side of the mouth and the left tongue, and that's thought to be related to the dysregulation of like the bradykinins and things like that. Once oh, you have cool. yeah, stroke affecting the insula yeah. and other and parts associated with uh, ACE inhibitors, right? Uh, yeah. I, well, like, I think another anxiolytic for senior residents that I learned this year is I really encourage my fellow senior residents to learn to mix TPA. It is a huge anxiolytic to be able to do it by yourself Mm -hmm. um, and just to get the process going because it, 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 
I know that, you know, as the leader, sometimes we have to learn to step back. But this is one of those situations when it's like really late at night and your stroke nurse maybe isn't around if you're at a center that has one. Uh, or there's a trauma at the same time and you're not in acute part of emerge. Mm-hmm. I think it's a really valuable skill to be able to mix TPA. And also it's really easy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, how do you guys like, mix it? How do you, how do, what's your style? I, I'll let you, the experts talk about no, it. No, no, Okay, fair enough. All right. But I will say it's they scare the you. Gentle like, oh, shake, it's you know? the, the gentle swirl, shake. The swirl, yeah. the swirl. No yeah. bubbles. This, this one is stirred, not shaken, I think. Yeah, yeah exactly. Probably, right? Sounds like yeah, a cocktail. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, Get that yeah, thing of so Tom Cruise and cocktail learn, yeah. mixing yeah. TPA. <laughs> so learn that ahead of time. Learn and what to do in terms of if you have a TPA-associated hemorrhage, like how do you reverse that? And so, or know, you don't have to know it off the top of your head, but know where to look it up. Because these are the scary situations yeah, that if you scary. haven't thought of it ahead of time, you might panic. But if you at least know, okay, I can go to this, you know, website or this resource or have a way to look up what to do uh, in these scary situations like the angioedema, like the bleeding, um, like no one knowing how to mix the TPA, you know, these things will then, I think, make you feel calmer and be yeah, for sure. right? So Yeah, TPA is pretty, like, not hard to mix. They say, like, yeah. there's two bottles. One's this... Um, what is it like lyophilized powder yeah it's like white yeah yeah yeah, exactly and there's the the liquid Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. water Um, (laughs) and you put the spike into the liquid first yeah that's the so that part doesn't matter right just okay that part doesn't matter i spike the powder oh you spike the the other spike facing up and these spikes are quite sharp and then you put the water one the liquid onto the powder one and you swirl it and then you do the swirl like you're a barista So, so so what does this look like this looks like, uh, like the pot. turning uh, butter. Stern in, stir in the pot. <laughs> yeah, stir like in the pot. making like a figure eight or infinity sign. Well, that's too much. No. Yeah, yeah. Just a bit of, yeah. You don't want to shake it, though. You don't want yeah. shaking, no make bubbles, like major yeah. shaking agitation. Yeah. It's, it's like but a honestly, swirling. It's a swirling it's easy, on a desk. And it's a big anxiolytic yeah. when yeah. you, when someone who's not mixing for the Therapy first time, and you can do yeah. it on your own. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, you designate a junior resident to do it or, yeah. or whatever. You know, I think, mm-hmm. I think it's helpful. Um, thinking more about yeah. senior tips. Uh, one of the things that I've done this year, which is a little more work, but I think the Aspects course from oh, University of Aspects Calgary yes. is a really big anxiolytic for me to just kind of catch up. For sure. Um, because sometimes you're at a site where the radiology resident is not super accessible and you just at least want to have an idea and a start. And I think that was a big anxiolytic for me. Mm-hmm. But recognizing that the course is pretty comprehensive and it's not easy. I thought, at least for someone who... Oh, you did it, eh? Good for you. Yeah, Yeah, excellent. Yeah, the University of Calgary, we'll put a link in the show notes. They Mm -hmm. came up with Aspects, which is like a scoring system for plain CT. And 10 is the normal CT. And then we take points off of certain regions that have early ischemic changes. Yeah, so we'll put a link for that self-training thing. We get a certificate that you've done it. Yeah, it's, 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 it's a little bit... worth learning. Yeah, it's, it's worth, worth learning. learning. Those two things, I mean, if you come on a stroke rotation and you know how to do an NIH and you know, and you know how to do an Aspects, that's and great. And you know how to mix TPA. Oh, my oh God. My yeah, we'll God. hire you. You're higher. Hired. Bottom line, you're not ever alone, no matter, I don't know where you're listening or what center you're in, but you're never alone as a resident. Totally, You know, yeah. you can always call for help and knowing when to call for help is also a really uh, important um, feature to have right that's Honestly, right like you need to know help is always around yeah you're not yeah. making tpa decisions by yourself Act, absolutely fellow or staff is there and exactly. uh yeah what if the person is sick what if you come in that's another scary one right you come mm-hmm. down code stroke patient looks terrible very sick what do you do ask the emerge doc for help you right away it. yeah 
Yeah, I, I've been in a couple situations near misses recently where uh, sometimes we go into early diagnostic closure. People are having strokes and then having car accidents. And we forget that this is also a trauma patient. So have such a low threshold. Even if the patient looks like they're fine, even if the passenger is there helping you give the history, uh, you got to involve the merge docs. I love that. So, early diagnostic closure. So you're talking about like tunneling, tunnel vision. Yeah, cognitive bias. But this is a stroke and that's an availability bias. You know, uh, yeah. Or the resident, other way around. People come in it. with other problems and forget but what actually caused the underlying problem, what caused the accident, yeah. and it yeah. could have been a stroke or something in the so, first place. Yeah, mimics, think right? About that. Yeah. Yeah. What, do you mimics. have a top mimic? Functional. Oh, <laughs> oh, yeah, that's a good one. Um, I would say the top mimic is uh, emergence of old stroke deficits in the context of illness. Nice. That's the most yeah. common one. And then seizure. Yes, yeah, seizure. Exactly. Seizure, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I guess to kind of round things off, um, kind of coming back to where we're talking about wellness and things mm -hmm. think finding stuff that you like to do and stroke is going to help you survive like during the rotation right during the like rotation do something fun yeah yeah uh so in your last uh stroke rotation what was something fun you guys did related to stroke or outside of stroke uh, both i don't know for me i find uh i i love stroke obviously i'm a stroke fellow uh it's my favorite thing ever but i also love uh neurology and neurological findings and like neuroophthalmological findings and so a lot of the time our stroke patients if you really look and have the time to do a detailed assessment you can find the coolest subtle findings in their eyes or if you do interesting kind of um, visual spatial tests or if for parietal lesions patients for example uh, you can uh, you can learn a lot and it's pretty fascinating so that keeps me excited and uh, nice. yeah we're always learning from tests on, on service <laughs> yeah we'll come up with some sort of cool you know neuroophthalmological finding and we're like yeah i knew that for sure so <laughs> totally many stroke that. syndromes i guess that's what i would say yes. badger your senior to teach you stroke syndromes yeah. and especially all of you internal medicine residents who are writing the big quiz mm -hmm. uh, yeah. the rule of fours uh stroke syndromes or wallenberg weber all of those that stuff is high yield and badger someone to teach you those things because uh those yeah. are high yield mm -hmm. badger them but don't bludgeon them just an <laughs> important pro tip badger not beaver <laughs> <laughs> awesome what else make sure you get to sleep on time yeah. eat you know it's a busy rotation yeah. take care of yourself wellness do some other stuff outside you know yes yes you like to exercise. you know do yoga exercise rock do something it's very important yeah, yeah stay balanced one of them I just i just dated myself there rock. <laughs> make sure you rock. rock and roll right on man right on. <laughs> uh yeah uh, i think for me it's uh, kind of going back to what you were saying earlier Tess, about the humanistic side i like to pick a patient and get to know them a little bit, whether it's if they speak another language, get them to teach me a little bit from their language or something about them. Uh, or, you know, outside of medicine, my favorite thing to do these days uh, are go to improv shows. Highly recommend it. Nice. Yeah. Uh, so that's plug my little there. weekend tip for yeah. everybody. Yeah, yeah, that's you, awesome. You have to that's stay great. balanced or else you'll lose your mind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's tough what we do in stroke, right? Like yeah. we're on the edge and uh, patients are sick and decisions are actually pretty hard. Um, you know, for me, I like I do critical care, and I think strokes a bit harder in that way because the patient is well, and you have to make a decision that could potentially harm them acutely. Whereas in acute resuscitation, if you don't act, they'll be harmed. Yeah. And it's, for it's sure. more clear so that I, I have think to, I think yeah. that's something that honestly I str struggle with a lot in neurology and in stroke is that um, sometimes it's hard to to live with the decisions you did make uh, if there is a bad outcome. But I've actually recently read a really interesting book. Um, uh, 
called thinking in bets and it's it's not about medicine at all but it's about decision making and it's written by this girl who's uh like used to be a famous poker player and she talks about how and this is so applicable to, to medicine, how we in general tend to judge our decisions by the result, even though just by the nature of things, especially in stroke and medicine, uh, you will have sometimes bad results, even if you made a good decision. And so rather than being hard on yourself about the end decision and judging uh, judging the uh, your decision by the result, which they call resulting, actually, even if it was a bad outcome, thinking back, like, did you think through the right steps? Because often you did make the right decision, even though there was a bad outcome. And there is an element of chance in medicine and in life and to not be so hard on yourself. And honestly, I think that like just thinking about that, it makes so much sense. But we don't often realize that we like if you ask someone, what's the best decision you made and what's the worst decision you've ever made in your life? No one will ever pick uh, a decision and say it was the best decision if it was a bad outcome even yeah. though it might have been a good decision, right? We judge it by the outcome. So that helps me a lot with my day-to-day, like acceptance of the tough outcomes that we have in stroke, despite a well-thought-out decision. Uh, thanks for That's sharing really that, nice, Tess. Yeah. I think the great thing too is in medicine, we have avenues to reflect on those things. And at U of T, across centers, we've been pioneering reintroducing morbidity and mortality rounds, which at some hospitals, we've actually renamed to quality improvement. Yeah, we yeah. Were, yeah. Uh, we Which I think quips. is a... Quips, yeah, so it's a much nicer environment. And having participated in these in a few times, it's brought me a lot of closure with those types Mm -hmm. of scenarios and you learn from them. And again, if if you're in a position where you want to introduce something to your residency program or your academic center or not academic center, I think this is definitely worth everyone's while to reintroduce this. And uh, it's the University of Ottawa that's done quite a bit of research around how to do morbidity and mortality rounds uh, in an effective way. Uh, and I find it's very helpful. They have a guide that you can find online. Highly, highly recommend it. That's really good. Yeah. And I think the Royal College has something called the Crisis Resource Management uh, book about how to manage acute situations as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. it's actually called like, situ- there's all these aspects of it, like situational awareness, knowing yourself, your yeah. yourself, your team, and kind of being mindful. And then, um, and then how do you manage your team, closed loops of communication, that kind of stuff. Yeah. So many layers okay. to this job, yeah, guys. What right. did we sign up for? Although yes. it's exciting to talk about. And, and it is. Stroke is the best. It's in the most exciting field. It's changing so much. Even since I just a few years ago, since, uh, you know, I started residency, well, more than a few years ago. But it, it's changed so much. It's amazing. And you can only imagine what will happen in the next five years, 10 years. I, I remember even interviewing for residency and the number of EVT cases that uh, residents at some of the biggest stroke centers were participating was probably like, I'm just guessing, like 25% of what we are involved in now. So yeah, uh, but for all those listeners out there, uh, even though I sound like a stroke nerd and I'm hanging out with stroke nerds, uh, I'm not, <laughs> but I still really support uh, uh, this field. And, you are and a being stroke nerd. You are. We'll it. convert you. We have time yet. <laughs> That's right. My is uh, subspecialty interests will remain undisclosed. Mm. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That will be for next episode. Awesome. So that's a good uh, good wrap up of some you know uh, tips and tricks about how to stay uh, you know alive and human during your stroke rotation and take care of yourself. Right. That's right. So we will catch you next time on Stroke FM. Whoop whoop. <laughs>